It's my pleasure, after all this, to uh, introduce Kevin Rayner. Kevin is most recently from the Edmund Church Christ up on 9th and Broadway Boulevard. Which one? Bryant. 9th and Bryant, yeah. And I, I think they brought him up there because they're having trouble with those two Kessler girls that are up there. But at any rate, uh, before that, six years over in Tecumseh, working with the church over there. And before that, 25 years in the Wisconsin Minnesota area, working with the church up there doing, uh, what, what, what was the word, uh, domestic mission work up there, being supported by the Memorial Road Congregation. So you've got a long relationship with Edmund Congregations. That's excellent. And uh, he's been in Wisconsin, so if his preaching's a little cheesy, you'll understand why. <laughs> he's here with his lovely wife, Katie. They've got two boys. Both of them are also in Edmund, up there with the uh, Edmund Church of Christ. So that's pretty handy. It worked out great for them. And I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, Kevin graduated from the uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State University with a degree in elementary education. And he's also attended Harding's University Preaching School for two years. And everything I know about Kevin is good. I, we've known each other, what, six, seven years? I don't know, since uh, the preacher's meetings over in, uh, in Shawnee. And I've always been impressed with him. You know, there's some people you meet them, and as soon as you, just as soon as you meet them, you know, I like that guy. And he's one of those guys. When I met him, I like him. And every time he's, he's opened his mouth when we've been in discussions over there at the preacher's meeting, you can imagine what gets said at preacher's meetings. It's always been good. I've always appreciated anything that he's had to say. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, shutting up and sitting down and letting him talk. But that's exactly what I'm doing. Brother, we're glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mike called me and asked me if I would do this. And I said yes. And then... He naturally left town, said Marty would introduce me, and I thought, oh, no, I might be in trouble. I, I probably have known of Marty and Mike longer than they've been aware of me, but uh, I have a lot of respect for them, and then Dayton as well, a lot of respect for him. See him at the preacher's luncheons in Oklahoma City quite frequently, and I really have appreciation for older people. Uh, people, experienced people, yes, <laughs> veterans in the Lord's Armory, maybe I should say. Uh, part of my job, a third of my job at Edmund is working with those that are 60 years old and, and older, and they have 400 members that are that age alone, so that's a third of my job. Uh, but I love people who have experience and wisdom. I was not raised in the church, wasn't raised going to church anywhere. And for that reason, I, I really have a, an appreciation for the history of the church and where people have come from, the experiences, the wisdom that they've gained from a lot of things. So uh, I want to talk about our need for Jesus. I think the theme for the summer is lessons the church needs to hear. Is that right? And whenever... I heard that. I really believe that we can't talk too much about Jesus. That's really, really basic stuff. And I'm going to emphasize the grace of God through Jesus and our faith is probably more than anything. But, you know, whenever you read the Bible, you see a, a, a significant portion of it is about Jesus, what he, how he lived, what he did, where he went, um, how he ministered to people. And we are the church of Christ. So we talk about Jesus. We are, we are a group of people that are about Jesus. Jesus was the, the message of the first century church. It's the message of the church today. Uh, 
The story of Jesus is of first importance. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. So that's how important he is. In the early church, uh, there's no other name among heaven by which men must be saved other than Jesus Christ. The church in Corinth that's fighting, or maybe not fighting, there is some fighting division, but some of their um, issues that they were worried about this and that. He said, I don't want to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's important to us. He is the head of the church. Uh, He is so many things to the church. So for that reason, he is the most important topic for us to talk about. And the church needs to hear that. And we need to come back to that. Because sometimes we're like the church in Corinth or one of the others that we get off on other issues and they are more important to us, and we don't emphasize Jesus as much as we, we ought to. There is a song in our book, and, and Dayton led a lot of good ones, but there is a song in our book that is an old song, but a good song. I say an old song. It's, uh, it's a song that I've known most of the time I've been in the church, okay? And the song is Without Him. And it says, Without Him I could do nothing. Without him, I'd surely fail. Without him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Without him, I would be dying. Without him, I'd be enslaved. Without him, life would be hopeless. But with Jesus, thank God I'm saved. Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know him today? You cannot turn him away. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus. Without him, how lost I would be. And I think as we look around and look at our culture, we look at generations, how lost people are. And and lost is a good term, I think, to describe somebody without Jesus. Their life, they may be wealthy and healthy and things may look great for them. But you find that they're really lost. They don't have the purpose in life that they ought to have. They're not going in a direction. They can't pull their life together. And in Christ, all things hold together. He's the one that makes everything make sense and work together. Let me share a story. This is an old story. And just to talk a little bit about grace and about Jesus and and the importance of without him, how lost we would be. Uh, Because I went through a period of time when uh, Christianity, I learned the truth, I obeyed the truth, and I thought, I'm going to do everything right myself, and then I will go to heaven. And eventually, after I got over some of that idealism, I found out I couldn't be everything. I couldn't do everything, and I wasn't good enough on my own, and I needed God and his grace. But this story kind of illustrates this. It says a man dies and goes to heaven. Of course, as every story about going to heaven happens to be, except for the ones in the Bible, I guess, he meets St. Peter there at the gate, and Peter says, "How? Uh, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done, and I'll give you a certain number of points for each of each item. And depending on how good it was, when you reach 100 points, you get in. The guy says, okay, because he feels pretty good about himself. And he starts thinking about all the great things he's done. And he says, well, I was married to the same woman for 50 years, never cheated on her, even in my heart. And Peter says, well, that's worth three points. The guy's got, ah, three points, but okay. 
He says, well, I attended church all my life and I supported its ministries with my money and service. Terrific, St. Peter says. Uh, That's worth a point. And he says, one point? How about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city. I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. And Peter says, fantastic. That's two more points. He said, two points? He said, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. He says, come on in. Well, that's a lesson, I think, whatever it is. It's by the grace of God. It's by our faith. It's by what Jesus has done on us, done for us. Now, we ought to do those things because we have been saved. Ephesians points that out. But you and I will never be good enough. We cannot force enough good things in our life, force our way into heaven. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we will never be good enough. It is because of God's good, goodness. Because of the good things he, what Christ has done on the cross. Even the people under the Old Testament, all the, the blood of bulls and goats and all the animals weren't good enough for you and I to be saved. Without Jesus, we would be nothing. Without Jesus, we'd be lost Without Jesus, how bad it would be. Uh, Marty made a comment tonight, and I kind of thought about it as well. This heat, just think about it. I, you know, I heard 112. I don't know. We got in. My wife and I got in the car at, up at the heart hospital a couple of hours ago to start this direction, and our car said 116. Well, you know how cars are. They're off. So I didn't know really how hot it was, but I, I heard the weatherman said it was 112 here in Choctaw. Now, that's hot, okay? You've probably been in hotter places. I had my Bible in the front, and it just curled up like nobody's business. You know, hot. And Marty made a comment tonight about, oh, I can't remember what he said exactly, but kind of, uh, well, you know, there's a hot place in eternity for people who don't have Jesus. And as much as I hate heat, and as good as this air conditioning is, just think about hell. And I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to, to think about it. That's, you know, the devil, uh, uh, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels and people who follow his ways. And thank God that there is a way out of that. that. That was where we were all destined for without Jesus. But Jesus stepped forward. He laid down his life. It was his choice. He laid down, he laid down his life for us. So without Jesus, we would be lost. But uh, years ago, and Jimmy Allen was one of my professors at Harding. And I probably shouldn't use his name and talk about all this, but I can just tell you my understanding and I'll give you a little perspective of it. But I used to hear him do gospel meetings years ago. And I have on tape uh, his sermon on what is hell like. And it's a sobering discussion. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think we fully understand how bad hell is. Uh, just like we don't really fully understand how great and awesome and wonderful heaven is. But Jimmy, in his later years, if I understand it right, he actually changed his view on hell. And, of course, he was known as the preacher on preaching what is hell like. And it kind of bothered him. I mean, uh, he wanted to be known on the person who told people about Jesus. And... I understand that he no longer preaches on that sermon on what is hell like and kind of has disavowed a lot of that. But 
I believe if you read the New Testament, if you read uh, the, the Bible, you'll find that hell is a real place. And there are consequences to sin. And I say sin, meaning that, uh, you know, that's kind of an old-fashioned word because we call them mistakes, habits, uh, or bad habits. We call them uh, just kind of messing up. But it's sin. And we need to be real honest that it is sin. And sin has separated us from God, and that's the reality. But with Jesus, thank God, we can be saved. And grace is such an important part of that. And that is our problem. We have a sin problem. We make bad choices. Uh, and it's a constant battle, teaching our children, teaching our neighbors, teaching encouraging one another about how to live pure and holy lives. God is holy, and he's just, and he's good. And because he's holy, just, and good, our sins have separated us. And it's only through Jesus that we can bring that back together. We can never be good enough on our own for God to say, okay, you're good enough, come on in. It is only by the grace of God. Now, that doesn't mean because we have the grace of God and we have Jesus that we can live as we, we want to. God sent Jesus so that all men could be saved. That's one of the beautiful parts about the new covenant is the... The new covenant is Jesus died for Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female. He died for everyone. But just because he died for us doesn't mean automatically we get in. It is by God's grace. So I'm going to look at some scriptures tonight. And I want to talk to you about one passage is out of 1 Peter chapter 5. Really a passage that you wouldn't normally think of about grace. But a powerful passage that I think gets our focus on Jesus and his grace for us. And the first little part is about elders. And I think that they model grace for us. But there is a certain authority about grace, a certain uh, response. And I, I have five areas out of this chapter of talking about grace, areas to be filled with grace. Elders, in the first little section, verse 1 through 5, the first half of 5, is elders are to be men of grace, sharing grace, demonstrating grace, uh, communicating grace. But grace has an authority. It has, it stands for something. I think sometimes we interpret grace, that grace is this loose way that you can do as you please and it's freedom without a cost. But grace says something, and, and elders are to demonstrate grace. He says to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And he kind of motivates him. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing there's a lot about grace and all of that, okay? And as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, talking about Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. 
So there's a lot said as we become leaders that we should be men of grace. I'm not an elder or a shepherd, but I think it applies to whatever ministry we are involved in to to be men of grace, be understanding, be caring. Now, again, it doesn't mean that people can do whatever they want. But what it does mean is we need to be patient. And we need to make sure we don't lord it over. But we need to call them to repentance, to a holy life, to a life. Because the chief shepherd is going to appear someday. And we will answer to him. And the same way we judge other people, we will be judged. And so we need to, to live out that kind of grace uh, in our lives every day. In verses 5 through 7, we have this attitude of grace. Again, he says, And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So talking about Jesus and his grace, whenever we realize we are not good enough, we'll be much more humble. We'll be much more understanding. And we will realize that God opposes those that are proud and arrogant. And he gives grace to the humble. And I want God's grace. I want Jesus' grace. I want him to be gracious towards me. And so, therefore, I, I want to be humble. And we ought to humble ourselves there before God's mighty hand. God has a mighty hand. And that's the reason why we can't take hell lightly. We can't think we're going to escape it by our own goodness. Jesus is both the uh, just and the justifier. So we need to uh, constantly remember that we should have an attitude of grace. And then grace gives us... In verse 8 and 9, an alertness. All of these are A's. Authority for leaders, attitude for just uh, the, the average Christian, or maybe even in this context you'd say young men. By the way, young men sometimes are pretty arrogant. They, uh, they think they can do it on their own. I remember being that age. I thought I could do it all. I thought I was strong enough. I thought I was smart enough. I thought I was quick enough. And fast enough, and we need to realize that we are not able to do it on our own. But verses 8 and 9 is there's a certain alertness. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be alert. Sometimes we get lulled into not, not having our head into the game, okay? We see sometimes that on sports teams in all kinds of sports. We see it in the Olympics right now. People aren't paying attention to maybe the, the go signal or whatever it may be or get off track. Uh, we need to be alert, be aware. The devil's out to get you. Now, don't think the devil is way out there. He does, he's not 50 miles away. He's not 100 miles away. And you can't send your kids to a Christian college and think that the devil's not going to get to them. You can't uh, go to a place where you can get away from the devil. If you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you and the devil will 
get further away from you. But you need to be alert. Don't think you've outsmarted the devil. Uh, a good illustration, I think, for alertness, at least for me right now, is, is the first day of March, I had an older brother who was run over by a train and killed. Now, you know where trains go, don't you? Trains go on tracks. Now, how my brother missed a train, I don't know. He just wasn't being alert. Traffic. As we go down the streets, my wife and I yesterday, at just right by our house, Memorial and Bryant, we were there, and the light turned green for us to go. It had been green for the people coming this way, and I think probably an arrow to turn. And the guy starts turning right in front of us, and I'm sure that it was a red light for him at that point. And ours had turned green to go. And he turned right in front of us, and then I think he figured out what happened, and he turned the other way. Well, you have to be alert. Parents with your kids, you need to be alert. And grandparents, probably more of a warning for grandparents because we think our grandchildren are the sweetest, innocent people in the world. But the devil is out to get them. And we need to be very alert. There are things, uh, it's not just internet nowadays, it's on their phones, it is everywhere. It is hard to get away. It's becoming more and more difficult to get away from the devil because the devil is out to get us. But we get desensitized. We get used to saying, well, that's just the way the world is. That's just the way things go. That's the way other people are doing it. And we won't get run over by a train, but the devil will lead us astray and we'll not be paying attention. You know, and I'm... About as guilty as anybody, but sometimes people, everybody's texting now and driving, it just seems like. I know that's a big broad statement, not everybody is, but it seems like the majority of people are. And a lot of times they need to be alert, they need to be aware. It's amazing how how many people you pass on the road and they're driving and, and doing that at the same time. And I'm guilty, but we have to be careful. Be alert, be self controlled and alert. Your enemy and my enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Did I see on the news the other day, southwest Oklahoma City, there was a big cat or whatever, I think, in the neighborhood. So they were warning people there. We have to be be alert. Uh, The other A is verse 10 through 11. There's there's a certain aim we need need to have as a result of grace and Jesus working in our lives. It says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, there's another translation that I think that uses the word aim. But we need to, we need to be, have a purpose. We need to have a direction. Once we've been saved by the grace of God... Again, it doesn't give us this liberty to go in all kinds of directions, but what it does do is give us a direction and an aim and a purpose in life, and therefore we won't be lost. Everybody has a GPS, it seems like now, that keeps us on course, and it says, go back or turn right or correcting, do this. Well, that's what the Scriptures do for us. It keeps us on aim, and the grace of Christ 
to his eternal glory, it keeps us on the right path, strong, firm, and steadfast. And then the final one is it's kind of a funny way to do it, but this is still an A, is an adios. In verses 12 through 14, he says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. One of the great things about the church is that we are a community of Christ, and we are, we are in this together. That's what the church is. It's a team, and we are the body of Christ, and we need to work together, and, and we need to encourage one another to keep on keeping on. Now, I've got a lot to say tonight, and I'm, I'm way behind schedule, so I need to get more on course. Let me just mention real quickly the 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe I don't need to do it quickly necessarily, but 1 Corinthians 15 uh, is a chapter where they have drifted and they're not so alert about the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things he calls them to is, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which... Also you received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. That means it's a high priority. That means it's really important. And that's what the church needs to know today. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to the apostles and at last of all as to one untimely born he appeared to one to me also for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle. Hear grace in that. Hear Jesus in that. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. And I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they... So we preach, and so you believe. And he goes on to talk about the preaching there, and he says, uh, if Christ was not raised, not only is Christ important, but if he wasn't raised from the grave, that our preaching is vain, it's worthless, and uh, we're just kind of wasting our time. So Jesus is essential to the church. It is what the church needs. It's what the church needs to hear. In Ephesians chapter 2, we'll spend just a little bit of time there, uh, is, a, is a reminder about grace and what it means to us. You know, years ago, I think it was Avon Malone that said, a good way to remember what grace means is it's God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. It's God's riches. We, we have all the riches of God. At Christ's expense. He paid the price. Again, it's not because of our goodness. But he says, and I, I want to just pick up probably 
in verse 6. I'd love to reach, uh, read all that before that. You probably are familiar with it, or I would encourage you to read it at some point. But at verse 6, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And here's the purpose. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you should do good works, but not to earn your salvation, but in response to the fact that God extended his grace to you through Jesus Christ. That, that should be our natural response. A couple of words that are kind of churchy words, Bible words, but to kind of put it into perspective a little bit is we talk about justice. We all want justice, but we think we want justice. But justice is when we get what we deserve. And we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't really want justice. We want justice from other people towards us. But we don't want justice across the board because that would mean we would be lost. A mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. The mercy of God. He could have destroyed everybody in the days of Noah. But by his mercy, he found somebody to kind of help start a new generation. He could have wiped out everybody in the days of Moses. But he had some people that were going to take his covenant to others. Uh, He could have wiped out nations period after period. And in a lot of cases, they did kind of self-destruct because they were lost in the days of the children of Israel. But Jesus was the hope. For us, And God was waiting for him to come. So that was the mercy. By his mercy, we get that. And grace is when we get what we don't deserve. The good we get that we don't deserve. None of us are good enough for the grace of God. It's God's goodness that he extends his grace and he sent Jesus for us. You know, John chapter 8 is an interesting passage the story of the woman caught in adultery. Interesting story. You know, anytime you have adultery, you have a male and a female. Well, maybe that's different today's day and age, but there's always another person involved. It wasn't just a woman. There was a man. The problem there is they're all trying to trap Jesus, and they're trying to trick Jesus into making a mistake so they can discredit him. In that effort, they find a woman caught in adultery. The law says she should be stoned. Jesus spends a little bit of time there, and he's uh, writing in the sand, drawing whatever he's doing. I don't know what he did. Maybe he was making a list of their sins. Maybe he was, I don't know. But one of the things he says, whoever's without sin casts the first stone. Now, that put the ball in their court. How good are you? How much do you want everybody that has sinned? How many of you want justice? And justice without, that's what we would get without Christ. 
It's only by the grace of God that we are able to do that, and it's God doing that. The interesting thing about that grace is Jesus didn't just kind of, quote, wink at sin, okay? He told that lady, go and sin no more. You've been forgiven. Just because you've been forgiven doesn't mean it's a license to go out and do what you want again. We take responsibility for our sins and for our life. It's the grace of God in Titus that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We have to make that decision to say no. We have to take responsibility and, again, cast all of our burdens on him. Even in insurance terms, there's a grace period, isn't there? My wife and I went through some, in this move, changing insurance and all that. There's a great grace period, I think, still is out there. And that, that's whenever insurance, you, you haven't paid your bill, but there's a grace period that you're still covered even though you haven't paid it as long as you do it within a certain number of days. I think when we closed on our house the other day, there was a grace period of about 15 days or something. But that doesn't mean that you just sit back and say, okay, we're going to do that every month or whatever. That, that will catch up with you. Uh, wow, it is three minutes until eight or about five minutes until eight. Is that what time we quit is eight? Whenever the bell rings? Dayton told me two, two times. I haven't heard it. <laughs> Bell ringer right there. Okay. Uh, all right. I had a story I was going to share with you, a lot of other points. Oh, there's Bell One. Okay, five minutes. Uh, probably a story you guys know better than me is, is the Golden Gate Bridge. I, my understanding is there were a lot of deaths in building that. Uh, and a lot of it was obviously when there's a somebody falls and they're injured, killed, whatever. If you're working and you go to work like that every day, you probably think you're the next one up, right? And so I'm sure wives said, this might be the last day I'll see you, honey. I'm going to kiss you goodbye. And that mentality just kind of spread because they were afraid to make a mistake and and be killed. Well, they came up with this genius idea. I don't know why they didn't think of this before, but they came up with a net, is my understanding, as the story goes, to, uh, if someone fell, the net caught them. And their attitudes changed. And they weren't afraid to make mistakes because if they, they could do great things, they could forge ahead, they could take some risk, and they didn't have to worry about something bad happening because there was a net to keep them. Well, the productivity went up. In fact, strangely enough, there were even fewer people falling. And the work sped up so much that they finished it in almost record time after they made that decision. I think the message there for us is we're all, all too often afraid to go to our neighbor and tell them about Jesus because we're afraid we'll make a mistake. We won't say something right. So we don't share and the truth is, they fall, and they don't hear about Jesus. And I think if we know that God is a loving God, He's going to guide us and help us, and like He did the apostles in the first century, that we can go out and make some mistakes. Not, I'm not encouraging you to make mistakes, but what I am encouraging you to do is go out and take a risk. And maybe some lives will be saved, because the grace of God, God is a gracious God, and He... Uh, 
like the story of, uh, of, of Nineveh. You know, we're afraid that if we go tell somebody, they're going to be saved. And God's graciousness will come out. So we, we sometimes keep the grace of God to ourselves. Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. And we ought to take that attitude as we go out. Uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. So I, th- I think we have to challenge ourselves and how are we going to respond to the grace of God? Are we going to, to take it as an opportunity to just sin? Romans 6 says no, don't do that. But what it does is it gives us the opportunity to go out and share the grace of Christ, the message of Christ, knowing that we'll make some mistakes, but also knowing that we will help save some lives.